The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamualaikum everyone, welcome to Sister Speak. You're here with me, Mariam. Also joining the studio is Sonia. And also today we have a special guest, Ray Han, all the way from the Netherlands. So today's topic we will be discussing activism and community engagement in Muslims. It's a topic very close to my heart as you all know that is something that I always talk about in the show and it's something that we think should be discussed on a larger level. Also we have Ray Han, um, who I'll be who I will be introducing now. So Rehan is the Vice President of uh, MSA Netherlands, which is the Muslim Student Association. It represents 15 Dutch Muslim uh, student associations and has over 10,000 members. They seek to represent these voices on a national level. So for those who are familiar with FOSIS, it's similar in concept. It's an umbrella organization. And recently, Rehan has uh, organized a project called Spark the Talk, which was a project that brought together policymakers from the government, education, and corporate world to uh, gather Muslim students' insight on diversity and inclusion policies. So a lot of experience we have uh, with us today, and we're looking forward to have the show. Um, but before we even delve into that, what is our show about, Sonia? Hi everyone, Assalamualaikum. So our show is a platform for girls to voice their own opinions on current affairs and form discussions on a variety of topics such as identity, education, community and social media. Please note that all opinions and views are our own and we respect all other opposing slash similar views and opinions. Yep. So just to reinforce, all opinions and views are our own and we respect all other opposing views. If you do want to join the discussion, you can call us on 01582481822 or you can WhatsApp us at uh, 0779481822 or you can message us on Facebook Live where we are um, streaming live on Facebook uh, or you can message us on Sister Speak on Instagram. So the next segment of the show is Thought of the Week which is I'm quite excited to have today because we have a special guest. Uh, so Thought of the Week is a segment where we talk about something that's insightful, something that's happened to us, or something generally we've been thinking, at, thinking about. So I'm first going to go to Sonia. Since I knew, I knew you were going to do that. Since, uh, she's my first one in the queue. So I had one and I've lost it. It was a quote, so it wasn't my Thought of the Week. It was a quote that sure. I wanted to discuss further, but I can't find it now. All right, then we'll go to Rehan. Go to me. Uh, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Maureen, for the introduction. It's uh, lovely to be here and uh, talk about activism. It's also a topic uh, very close to my heart. Um, my thought of the week, I was thinking earlier today, I was feeling a bit tired, and I, I realised it's because of how much coffee I usually drink during the term, during term time, or... Yeah, when, uh, when school is in term, and I realize, like, okay, whenever I'm on holiday or, for example, during Ramadan, it's always a bit, uh, you feel tired, easier, you feel a bit, a bit groggy, and it's really dependence on coffee. So I was wondering, yeah, you're, we're, you're we're, addicted to we're addicted to coffee. You yeah. are, not we're. <laughs> just me, just me. Actually, I'll second that. I'm quite good. Really, guys, this is not good. So, is the thought of the week that you're reflecting that you're addicted or that we shouldn't be? Well, it was more reflect self-reflection that, uh, yeah, there is a certain level of coffee dependence. I can't, and you're the same, Mariam. Yeah, but that's not my thought of the week, for sure. Oh, no. But I do, I, I, I do crave coffee a lot. Mm. And I'm really glad, though, in university that I never had this dependency on coffee because I think I would have become very poor <laughs> and I would have wasted my money on coffee. Very poor financial decisions, which we don't like. And strongly um, relate to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, alhamdulillah got through university I used to drink a lot of water I used to be known for the girl as the girl with the water bottle yeah we all indulge maybe because it's like 35 degrees outside as well so just uh, just a quick one make sure you wear SPF guys because it's 35 degrees and stay hydrated stay hydrated as well um, so but yeah. on that coffee addiction thing um, you guys both of you need to come off it you have to you just have you can't be addicted to coffee how do you fast during Ramadan do you not have that craving for coffee? Yes. And how does that go for you? It's a it's it's jihad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a challenge. It's a it's challenge. A challenge. But I think I think for me I'm not 
as addicted as most people. Like I can go days without it, but if I'm really craving it, I have to have it that day. So I have like periods when I'm like, I really need to have the coffee, but then, yeah, yeah it's just quite inconsistent. But Sonia, have you found your coat? Uh, no, I haven't. But my thought of the week is going to be something else, like light-hearted. And I think we speak about this a lot on the show. You realize, yeah. Um, it was basically about a a woman, and I don't know how old she was, like thirty-ish something. And she was just saying how she's exploring activities now that she couldn't do when she was younger, but wanted to do. So that might be for financial reasons. It might be opportunities. Like for example, one of them was horse riding. And she was like, it's not something I want to pursue, not a career, nothing. But it's just, she just wanted to try it. And it's something she couldn't do when she was young because it's not easily accessible to go on a horse, depending where you live. So she gave horse riding, um, pottery classes, uh, dancing, I think. I don't know, all these variety of things. And it just made me realize that, you know, when we're young and you go to a shop and you say to your parent, like, oh, I want to buy that massive paint set or something. And you can't because your parents are like, you're not buying that. It's 50 pounds. It's a waste of money. Whatever, whatever. You're not going to paint or whatever. Now we kind of have semi-freedom to do that. I mean, don't waste your money. But if you want to experience something that you never got to as a child, now's your <coughs> chance, right? So it gave me that insight where I was like, I kind of want to do things that I never got the chance to do when I was younger or wasn't allowed to do, like buy a paint set for £50 <laughs> and just explore it. So, yeah, that's, that's to all of you guys as well. If, if you have any examples you can think of. Yeah, I think for me it's... Um, not necessarily with, with my childhood, but it's just really pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I think it's something that I discuss discuss quite often on the show. Um, but to a management extent, I think if you put yourself too much in the deep end, it's not really conducive for your development because you are unable to kind of navigate through that um, zone that is really difficult for you. So I think for me now it's just kind of having introspection and kind of ascertaining okay what will work for me and what will actually challenge me to some extent but at least it will elicit some sort of development so I think that's kind of the process I'm kind of in right now um, but Rehan do you have any thoughts on that? I think just to second what you just said about trying to explore your or leave your comfort zone I think it's also a topic we'll come back to during our uh, discussion on activism itself um, I think it's really important to really experience to learn yourself really to understand what you want to do what your likes and hobbies are you really need to step outside of your comfort zone and find what suits you definitely i think we will actually uh, touch upon that throughout the show so that i think that's a good segue for the uh, beginning of the show so this topic this week is activism and like rehan mentioned this topic is very close to us uh, seeing as we are both quite involved in activism um, and especially in the context that we're in uh, in Europe and in the UK, it's really important that we have this discussion and to encourage people as well to um, become uh, engaging um, within the community. Um, so the first question is, what is activism? And I'm going to go to Sonia actually first. Great, great. Thank you for that. Um, I think activism in a general sort of way is um, when you organise and try to plan and showcase things that you feel strongly about it could be anything most of the time it's like uh, educational or political and you're kind of trying to push it there you feel strongly about it so you're trying to maybe protest or make a stand sure put your point across and so on um but yeah that's like a general kind of term of what activism means to me i agree so t speaking on that to create change um the next question is what does activism look like in the muslim community in the uk and europe in your case you've been because you're the vice president of msa um how does that look like all right so activism uh, first to come back to your first question about what is activism i think you can define it very broadly as uh, sonia just mentioned as active participation to try to affect social or political change that could be trying to change a mindset within a community or to accomplish uh, social or political change um, often when people think of activism they think of someone with a placard at a protest mm -hmm. uh, that is a form of activism uh, for sure but there are also many other forms such as online activism uh, campaigns uh, social media campaigns for instance so the situation we're in in Europe and the UK when it comes to activism 
I think we need to zoom in a bit specifically into the UK for our local context. There are a lot of organizations here which are well established within the Muslim community. There are mosques and uh, also Muslim politicians who are involved, active with the community. And every country within Europe has their own local context as well. Some have it quite well off, for example, in Scandinavian countries. But you don't have to look too far, for instance, to France to see that everyone has very different um, aims when it comes to activism. So in the UK, we're lucky. Uh, we, should, uh, we shouldn't take that for granted, that we have this level of um, existing community support. There are institutions which are here. There are mosques which have been quite established for a long time. So activism can take very different forms depending on where exactly you are. Yeah, I agree, and um, I actually see a sister speaker in a way a form of activism because we're voicing opinions on things that pertain us, and usually um, voicing things that we're, we're un in places that we're underrepresented. So, Sonia, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think that a few years ago, especially uh, now, we've got podcasts and things like that. But mm -hmm. a while ago, we didn't really have these things, and especially, like you said, here literally Luton, Inspire FM I, I know I joined Sister Speak because I found it amazing, I was like wow, girls talking on a radio show like it, it just wasn't an opportunity that I kind of came across every day so it definitely stood out and in a way it is a form of activism because so many times we've spoken about things that we feel strongly about and we're able to like make a stand and say what we our message through radio so definitely sister speak could be a form of activism yeah absolutely um and we both of you touched upon um activism but in a in a broader sense but zooming it a little bit in um what impact has it directly had on you Rehan? What impact has it had on me specifically? So I think uh, you introduced me briefly as uh, Vice President of MSA. Uh, that's a role I started not too long ago. It was actually in December, so the beginning of uh, the calendar year. And I really decided to get into it after attending an event, uh, the European Youth Event, where we met different Muslim youth who are active in their own countries, active within local organizations, within student and youth organizations. And it really pushed me to go from being involved at a local level to a bit more nationally and the impact it's had on me in terms of personal growth being able to develop my own political opinions and being more involved with different communities i think it's uh, it's quite profound also in terms of having a wider network i know that i can go to most european countries for instance now and i'll have people who are like-minded or have a similar way of thinking who I can reach out to and meet up, exchange ideas, best practices, discuss what their challenges are and learn from each other. Speaking of um, exchanging ideas, you recently went to the consultation session uh, with FEMISO. Do you want to just touch upon that? Um, so the, for those who don't know, FEMISO is a, is a uh, again, a similar organization to MSA. Uh, it's an umbrella organization that um, look after as member organizations throughout Europe and uh, recently they had a consultation consultation session with these member organizations where they essentially ch exchanged ideas, shared best practice and because uh, Rehan is the vice president of MSA he was invited there so do you want to share your experience on that? I wouldn't say invited but more applied to uh, mention that I'm going to be attending. Um, it was it was a very interesting experience. It was uh, nice to be in Brussels, uh, the heart of uh, the European Union, which uh, we are no longer a member of here in the in the United Kingdom. And, uh, don't get started on that. But, uh, <laughs> it was a very interesting experience to share um, best practices with other member organisations, sure. with different local local organisations which work in different countries, what challenges they face, and also how they were able to tackle those challenges. Because often you see it's almost like um, like a magic mirror which you can see into the future where an organization in another country has faced similar problems that you might face or which are on track to uh, facing in the future and you can see how they've tackled them or what the consequences are and it can really teach you what you need to do in order to prepare your organization to be sustainable to be able to work in the long term so it it's it was a really useful beneficial con um, consultation session. Speaking of challenges, um, 
as you just mentioned, and it's really good that you were able to go and meet these other organizations and member organizations who kind of forecast kind of the problems that they encounter. Um, what challenges have you specifically faced uh, in Netherlands uh, pertaining your role? So particular issues which we faced, ooh, what, uh, what would those be? I think an issue which all volunteer organizations face is uh, recruitment, mm -hmm. uh, being able to reach out to people who have ca capabilities, who have talent, but just ensuring that they're aware of the opportunities and possibilities that they have. I think that's a very general, um, very general challenge that all volunteer associations face. So that was something which we had this year at the beginning. We were a small team. I think our board before I joined was just three people. So on national for a national organization, that's quite a lot of work. Um, that's us here now. I'm just saying how you said that's us at Sister Speak. I'm sure there's people that want to join, but getting the word out there for the like-minded people that want this opportunity is, is difficult. So I totally mm. understand what you're saying. Yeah. Sorry, can you carry on? You're saying no, that other, was that other was issues. It. Oh, is that the only issue you I had? I think that was the main main issue we uh, we faced. There were also others, but uh, I think it's not too uh, too important to delve into them. Mm. How are you able to kind of overcome it? So in terms of recruitment specifically, we try to have campaigns, uh, we try to be active at our events. When we have physical events, a lot of people were very excited to attend our physical events because, you know, after a year, two years of being locked away and just attending online things, uh, we were able to reach a lot of new people who attended events and then just spread awareness of, okay, look, this is what we do. Uh, if you want, if you're interested in also organizing this or helping make sure this continues, you want to give your contribution, uh, feel free to join. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, it worked really well, just going physically to all of these events, meeting people, speaking to them one-on-one. -on -one. I think yeah. that uh, did quite the boost for... Uh, That's good <laughs> advice for us. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to touch upon because um, what you mentioned is about the lack of resources and the lack of recruitment, so in terms of, you know, human resources, really. Um, how do you think this translates to when uh, you're in a context where a lot of people think that if you engage yourself in activism, it's going to hinder you from opportunities, i.e. in professionalism? What's your thoughts on that? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, so I think it's really important to uh, sort of normalize and legitimize the work that you do in these Islamic organizations that uh, it doesn't have to hinder your your job opportunities uh, for example if you think of it today that was it perhaps stems from um, in my opinion it perhaps stems from a sort of older mindset that this is something which could stigmatize you or hinder your career because you're attracting too much uh, too much attention to yourself but if you think of it in a modern context if you look at a lot of corporations, it's almost strange if, if you say, for example, Deloitte or McKinsey isn't organizing an iftar in Ramadan, you kind of think like, okay, that's a bit strange, they didn't do it this time. So we really need to do our best to make the most out of this opportunity where we have that uh, we can be involved. So, for instance, for our organization for MSA the Netherlands, um, we're not just a network of Muslim students, we also pride ourselves in being an Islamic organization which takes its foundations from Islamic principles. And we work together with different corporate entities, we work together with Dutch government, with different ministries, and that really, it really legitimizes the work that we do in a sense that to our Muslim community, like, oh, we can be part of an Islamic organization and still work together with the government, work together with all these different ministries who are yeah. collaborating with, uh, with this organization. Yeah, I really like that. It's not like a separate thing. It can just be inclusive. Like, I can practice my religion and be strong in my faith and loud and proud about it and still do these official government jobs and liaising with professionals and so on so yeah that's really cool i think for me as well that one of the benefits has been the transferable skills because as rehan mentioned when you uh, have job um, interviews they ask you about your event management skills your your communication skills and almost every interview i talk about i do a radio show and that's something that's very niche not many people can say that they're on a radio show and even in terms of femiso as well um to have that broad network to be able to communicate to such diverse stakeholders is something that's um really looked really positively at 
And uh, I think for me personally, again, just in terms of personal development, it has been a very good thing for my confidence. And I think that's something that we need as well in, in the Muslim community, just to to raise that awareness that you, know, you can be involved in Islamic organizations and it won't hinder your opportunities. Um, but more so, this is actually a two-way street. You can develop your skills. You know, That's one thing, something that most Islamic organizations want from you. They want to develop you because if you think about Islamic history as well, we were pioneers in, in many, many fields. Yet today, we're very... Um, I would say we're quite, quite one-dimensional. We tend to go for specific careers just because it's more conventional and it's more uh, stable. But we're not willing to kind of branch out. And I, something that I always say that we need to infiltrate what kind of sectors. But also, I think uh, holding on, uh, on that point is that we need to also value our religion and hold steadfast on our principle because there will be ch- times when... Um, People are going to challenge your principles. But at that point, you have to realize, well, what is your actual objective? What do you want to gain out of this? So, yeah, thank you, Rehan, for kind of sharing that. Um, you mentioned that you liaise with um, MPs and different industries. I think one of the things that you mentioned, I did mention in uh, the first part of the show, is the Spark the Talk. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's really interesting. I think everyone would want to hear um, exactly the kind of thought process behind it, the things that you did in that event, and kind of the outcome as well. All right. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, you said I organize it, but uh, no person works alone. This was uh, the hard work of our advocacy and communications team uh, in organizing uh, this event. But Spark the Talk, it's a long-duration project that we have going with one of the key events being a dinner session we organized with uh, Muslim students to try to bring them together with policymakers from Dutch ministries, universities, and the corporate world. Essentially, government education, uh, government education, and uh, private sector to really get their input on policies that affect them in terms of diversity and inclusion in the workspace, in education, in uh, in the government, uh, because often. This group is the target of a lot of uh, DNI diversity policies, but they're not really consulted on uh, what their input is. So we found it really interesting to see that a lot of issues which Muslim students faced, these corporate or these uh, policy makers had no idea that, okay, for instance, oh, prayer spaces is something which we had no idea. It was so much demand for within our institutions. So that's what we really try to do, to try to bring everyone, these people together so there's an exchange of ideas so that everyone is aware of what challenges there actually are in society so that that can be better reflected in policymaking. Uh, to a question to Louisa and Sonia from the UK context, do you think that this structure it kind of exists in the UK or have you actually experienced something directly like that? Or do you think UK, UK structures are more separate entities and we don't really reach out to various stakeholders? No, I think it's quite because you said you, you liaise with like Dutch MPs and all that type of stuff. I think it's interesting because we don't take the onus on ourselves, I guess. And it's great to take an example from people like yourself the fact that we can actually, I guess we could very easily write a letter to our MP yeah, yeah. and discuss these things um, and actually make changes. Because I guess at the end of the day, if we're not the ones telling them, how are they going to know, I guess? You yeah. know, it is up to us to kind of let them know that this is exactly what we need and exactly what we want, and it'd be great if we could work with you. Um, so, yeah, I think it's quite enlightening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree with Lamisa, but I don't think... I mean, I don't know, I don't want to speak on behalf, and then there's a group out there in the UK that are like, we're doing all of this stuff, you just don't know about it. Sure. But personally, I've not really come across it. Mm-hmm. I think we're very, um, there's groups I know, I'm thinking about when I went to university sure. in London, loads of different groups, but I don't see the cohesion. It's like, if you all work together, I make like yes. one big group instead. Maybe there could be that, like, you know, communication with, like, officials and professionals and so on. But it's a bit, like, I don't know what the word is, like, all over the place. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, I think that's what it is. Because it's fragmented, uh, it's difficult. And the fact that I'm quite involved in this kind of community and I'm only starting to find out on, only in the last year or so. And I've been, been trying to seek out these kind of opportunities. So I think there's a lack of presence in the UK, um specifically in the Islamic organization arena. And what do you, what do you think, Lamisa and Sonia, this is? Why do you think this is? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if it's maybe yeah. because we 
like you said, it's the skills that we need, right, to build. Sure. Um, the fact that people haven't had opportunities, I guess, growing up, can also mean that they're not as confident to go out and get what we need. Do you see what I mean? We're yeah. not in those spheres, or people like us haven't had that type of training. A lot of people you'll meet from, from Muslim backgrounds who are quite quiet and quite reserved. Sure. I feel like they haven't had the opportunities to be able to express themselves and make... Yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah, the opportunities just aren't available. Just got a couple of seconds, Gonsan. Um, I don't really have anything to add. Um, yeah, I think I think what rounds it up is that I think the UK context is, is a lot of times culture is misconstrued with religion, and that's when Muslims find this um, this challenge where they're trying to f practice their religion, but they kind of bog down with culture. And it's just about how do we differentiate that, and how do we kind of campaign for um, you know our religious beliefs without culture kind of overshadowing it. Um, but it was a really insightful discussion. Thank you, Rehan, Nemisa, and Sonia. Uh, we will be continuing this conversation on activism in the next half. Um, we are coming to the end of the show. It was really good to speak about this. And inshallah, see you in the next half. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Everyone, welcome back to Sister Speak. You're here with Mariam, Lisa, Sanya, and Rehan. Um, in the first half, we were talking about activism and community engagement as Muslims, and we'll be continuing the conversation. Um, just before we actually start the show, though, I do want to promote Sister Speak is recruiting. So, we're recruiting for uh, new presenters, new podcast presenters, and also if you are not, if you are interested in um, other roles, for example, being a media officer, research officer. Um, we have those roles open too. If you do want to get in contact, please email us at sisterspeak@inspirefm.org. Um, as we've kind of mentioned before in the previous show, it has really dramatically changed uh, my way of communicating. It's really good for your communication skills. And as we've had a couple of sessions with um, people from Sixth Form, meeting Sixth Form, it's really important to put that in your personal statement. So we do, really do urge you to join Sister Speak. Back to the show. Um, so as I mentioned, we were talking about activism and community engagement. Um, so the next half, I want to ask Rehan, um, as we were talking about the, there's a lack of presence, um, especially in the UK context, uh, do you think that's because of um, Muslims being, um, not unaware, but in terms of, what's that word? We were talking about it. A sense of apathy. Apathy, that's yeah. it. Yeah, so they have a sense of apathy. Uh, towards the organization just because, as we said, because there's actually a huge quantity of Islamic organization, they just don't feel the need to actually actively go and get involved. Um, so what's your thoughts on that? I think uh, that's definitely a strong element in why people don't seek, uh, in my opinion, why people don't seek out these opportunities because, uh, to be honest, when you compare it the situation in the UK to the U Europe as a whole, we do have it quite well off in terms of we have established organizations, we do have a lot of, I think every university has an ISOC, right. which is almost every university, uh, things like that, you you're not, don't have to worry too much about um, halal food or a Muslim graveyard, for instance, whereas these are like real challenges which a lot of communities in Europe have to think about. So I think a lot of people just take it for granted. When you think of it, a lot of us are from a migration background. We think of uh, the challenges, for instance, our grandparents or parents had to face when coming here. But yet, despite all the challenges, perhaps like difficulty with English language or in a lower paying job, uh, moving to a brand new country where you can't FaceTime back home every day, they were still able to establish mosques. They were able to establish schools, Islamic graveyards, halal food, and pass on their religion, their faith to the next generation. And this is, I see it as a sort of a trust and a manner that we have to take care of because we can't take it for granted. You don't have to look too far, for instance. We mentioned at the beginning, just look at the situation in France where mosques are being shut down, where preachers are being jailed. And this is something where we really have to think about, okay, how do we take care of this? How do we be involved in ensuring the longevity of these organizations? What can we do for this? So I think it's a sense of apathy and taking things for granted in our situation, assuming they won't get worse. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think that when 
it's like everything you said I knew but the way you just phrased it has just made me think you're so right like our parents we can give for example did come to this country mine came in like the 70s or what 60s or whatever and when you really think about it they were in a country that was not the way it is now there wasn't Muslim things nearby there wasn't mosques in every other street corner halal me I just really really thought about that like it's so easily accessible for us and we don't even think twice they think I'll just go there to get it but it's like hold on a minute that shop was never there they had to fight for it they had to get that maybe it was even an Islamophobic I mean it we can go into that a bit more but you know more racism and all of these challenges they had to face and they didn't have like we have mobile phones easily internet easy you know they didn't even have those communications but they still managed to do all of that and it almost feels like we're doing the easy part now which is like you said just maintaining it obviously there are still more challenges like you mentioned in Europe but um, for us in the UK we we need to do better I think <laughs> just blowing my mind I was like what am I doing I, mean, I agree much. with him as well because it is Amman at the end of the day that this is the legacy that we're going to have to put forward and you know as Muslims all we'll ever think about is how we introduce Allah and if we're not taking care of the things especially the structures that are being put in place for the sake of him um, then we're doing a disservice and I think you know um, one of the questions I want to now pose to you guys is that um, why do you think there's a resistance to being gay? to engage yourself in these organisations in the UK or, yeah? I think that um, there has to be a point where you need to rethink your intention with a lot of these groups. Because we are quite lucky that we have so many, I feel like sometimes there can be opportunity for things to change, so people's intentions to change, or, for example, outsiders not being let in, that type of thing. It seems a bit cliquey at times, if, if I'm talking, like, completely honestly. Um, I think in the beginning when I first started going to uni as well, I felt like I couldn't join because I felt like it was very closed off. And I think that's when we need to start thinking, okay, we have this base, we have loads and loads of like, you know, groups and we have a really good foundation, but where can we go from here in terms of renewing our intention on what we want these groups to be and, you know, what we want to get out of this whole thing? Definitely, No, I think that's a really important point, uh, which if I could summarize us, making sure organizations are more inclusive yeah. to with, within the Muslim community itself. So not just to one uh, single ethnic group, not just to one... Um, I'm surprised when I see, still see mosques in the UK which don't have prayer spaces for women. Yeah, like, that's we've quite spoken about that. <laughs> Mariam is really strong on that too, we all are. It's, uh, so I think it is a really important point to make sure these organizations are accessible to yeah. everyone within the Muslim community, uh, that they also engage with wider society as a whole. So as a, as a quick example from one of our member organizations, they organized, uh, during one of the first corona lockdowns, they organized a session where their members went to old care homes and helped wow. the staff who were under, under immense pressure at the time. And then after that, I think they even got non-Muslim volunteers helping out when they, within their, well, ISOC. So that was something I thought was really, really well done as wider community participation. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I was going to say, do you feel like, because you're obviously using the rest of Europe as an example, that you have more challenges, like you said, you might even have a Muslim graveyard nearby. These are the things that you guys are trying to make a stand for, fight for and change. And whereas we, especially if we're talking about Luton, everything's there. Like, we don't have to think about anything. That we take it for granted, which is why we just take a back seat and we just kind of let it. Whereas you guys only have each other. And you kind of, like, try to do the right thing, try to do what's best, that like you hold on to each other. Whereas we, that's what you were saying, Lamisa, yeah. have these, like, cliques and it's, like, yeah, it's already see, formed. If it's already there and I'm like, oh, they're not really letting me in, then I don't really need to do anything. I feel like it's that kind of attitude. Which it shouldn't be. Which right. it shouldn't be, of yeah. course not. Yeah. yeah, I think you know um, that level of being complacent is because of that. And mm -hmm. I had the similar experience at university. I felt that I couldn't resonate with the people in the Islamic society, um, and a lot of the things is because that they think that they deserve to be in these certain positions, and everyone else's opinions is not counted. And, uh, and unfortunately, this is kind of the case, not just for exclusively for my university and the nieces. It's quite widespread. Um, and then that deters people from engaging completely because they just don't feel included in their own communities and why would they engage, why would they lobby for anything? Mm -hmm. um, but talking about these challenges, what do you think we can suggest in terms of overcoming those barriers, even from a personal level? In do we, how do we take that step forward, Rehan? So to overcome these challenges, I think, first of all, a very easy, um, easy thing to implement is just more checks and balances in terms of how inclusive and how 
for example, in these organizations, how leadership is elected so that the voices of people who want to participate are actually heard. Uh, that way you can build a more cohesive and inclusive uh, strategy for what your organization actually stands for, who it's aiming to serve, and ensure that the voices of who you're trying to serve are implemented into that. So I think essentially drawing up all the opinions of uh, the local community or people you try to serve. So that's a really good point. Um, I want you to talk about a little bit about general assemblies and consultation, consultation sessions because before I joined FEMISO and even uh, you know, experienced the member organization from, European, from the European perspective, that was quite new to me. So do you want to just talk about that and how has that benefit, benefited you in, uh, in terms of MSA? So you mean how the consultations and general assemblies uh, help us? Yeah. I think, uh, first of all, I mentioned just now checks and balances. So the general assemblies are a surefire way to make sure that we're uh, on track because the people who we're supposed to be accountable to, so our members, they have the opportunity to essentially grill us on everything they think uh, we're not doing right. They can audit our finances, um, make sure like money's not going where it shouldn't be or that it's being spent wisely, but also just our strategic goals, um, what they think we're doing, what we're doing right, where we need to improve upon. So I think it's important to have those formal uh, consultations with your, with your members to gain their insights. I don't think that exists um, in think so. Islamic society practices. And yeah. I think uh, it blew my mind when I encountered this because surely if you're being held account accountable from your members, that's the only way you will actually have an organization that represents that community. Um, but talking about community, one kind of um, space that I want to talk about is the masjid because I really strongly feel that this is the community space that we're not really tapping into. Um, so I just want to uh, gain your kind of insight. Um, what kind of inclusive strategies or structures can mus uh, masjids adopt to create spaces where Muslims can engage with activism? So I think um, one way for sure would be to one way for sure would be to make sure that. Uh, different voices are held, are uh, are listened to within within the community make sure that the mosque is active within wider society as a whole so not just serving only the people who attend but also the wider wider community so engaging with non-muslim groups non-muslim charities um, people who live within the direct vicinity of the mosques that uh, people who are attending aren't being a nuisance at night for example in the summer when isha is really late uh, you see that a lot of people uh, non-Muslims who live around mosques often have complaints that, yeah. okay, people are coming in really late, this is uh, becoming a bit of an issue. So I think they just need to be, we just need to be a bit more accepting of the fact that we need to work with it, all different groups, all different stakeholders around us. Definitely. From the, the female perspective, Sonia Mimisa, what do you think? I, I would agree. I think engagement with the wider community is a big thing and getting, for example, most doing efforts like cleaning up in the local area or taking them to local care homes to volunteer. These types of things are good because they learn about their community. They learn about kind of what's going on. Um, they can see real social issues happening. Yeah. And then that will help them to kind of think about these things and actually be like, okay, maybe I can do something about this. I feel like if you're not exposed to the issues, you're not going to know that they exist and therefore you're not going to work to solve them. So I feel like, yeah what you said is, is completely right. I mean, both of them hit the nail on the head. And it's like making a presence in the community is so, so, so important. But, like, I see sometimes little improvements. So, you know, you can have, like, kids' classes when they learn, like, Quran in the mosque and so on. And sometimes I saw it, they had, like, a mini graduation. Oh, that's like, so cute and nice. But also that's very, like, you know, it encourages more people to go. It's like, wow, they run events and so, like, it just gives that kind of standing and you're like... You, they've actively tried to be involved and then you want to be involved back as well um, but there's just so much I feel like there's so much that can be done so much awareness, inclusivity with the females, with the children um, but just even like you mentioned as well helping the community out taking into consideration what people the neighbours are saying, the locals are saying I think we could do another radio show on that just like we have. what the mosques can do yeah I think we should do it again yeah. and we can need to really help the mosques out and do you feel that there's a lack of representation of women in committees in masjids and what kind of implications does that have? 
I mean, for what I've seen, it's usually like one of the imam's wives that usually are in charge of the <laughs> lady section of the mosque, which is true. absolutely fine. I mean, who else is going to do it? She's already there, probably she knows by it. That's fine, that's good. But um, sometimes the word just doesn't get out. So, like, I think I mentioned during Ramadan as well, like, I didn't know there was a female section at a mosque that was local to me because there wasn't one. And then suddenly there was one after, like, years and years. But how was I supposed to know? Obviously, word of mouth travels. Um, but yeah, there needs to be an outreach and so on. Like, there needs to be the message needs to be spread across, and I don't know how, but there definitely needs to be more more done. Not just for females as well, but I think for children too in the mosque, they should know it as a place to go, as a place that they can grow, and um, just so many things. And they shouldn't be like afraid to go in there. Uh, you know, they that they should be able to go in there for advice. Um, to learn, just so, so many things I think that the mosque can do and for I inclusivity. I think these opinions need to be valued as well, that's an important thing. This is all well and good saying we have women on the committee, but if you're not going to listen to what they have to say, then what is it really doing? Yes. Um, yeah. So I think value needs to be given to their opinions and they need to be accepted as equal members of the committee as well. Mm -hmm. And that's one way you can actually move forward. Definitely, and I feel like even, you know, if I were to go to a masjid, would I to give my opinion? Where would it go? I wouldn't even know where the feedback loop is. And I think that's something that's really... It's such a, sh it's such a shame, actually, because there's just so much potential in, in this community space, especially in the context of the UK. We have so many masjids. We have potentially so many community centres. Um, but unfortunately, they just, again, they're very staggered. They're not very connected. Um, and I think that a problem that I have spoken about previously as well, that we attribute certain ethnicities to masjids. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, again, creates this um, fragmented approach um, because you don't feel like you want to go to another mosque that doesn't represent your ethnicity or you just don't feel like you resonate with them. Um, so that's just another issue. But moving on... Um, if uh, we talked about community spaces, but I want to kind of go back to activism. So, if someone wants to get involved towards um, creating positive impact, what would you suggest, Rehan? Okay, the first thing I would suggest would probably be to do your research about what organisations exist within your local area, within your university, or for instance, or places where you frequent. Where are avenues where you could make a positive contribution within your? Um, yeah, within your community. And it doesn't just have to be specifically uh, Islamic organizations. It could also be for any cause or um, campaign you think is very valuable, whether it's climate justice or any other form of environmental justice. Um, there are plenty of options available, so you just need to do your research, find out where you can best put your energy and uh, your campaigning, campaigning efforts, essentially. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you don't find that specific niche then be pioneers create that space for other people um, but I wanted to actually hit upon as well that there's a, there is a lack of presence but do you think social media is un, is a underused tool especially in masjids uh, to engage with the young community I'm I mean, I yeah, she's looking at me because this is like kind of my job role and so on on media I'm all about media I think there's a fine line because there's a like in some ways, I can actually understand why a mosque might say, I don't want to be on a social media platform. I can actually understand that. I do see it because there's so much and it's like, I don't want to be associated with that. Fair enough. But at the same time, to the accessibility, if there's a teenager that needs to know the opening times of a mosque and they can't see it, and they're used to using a social media platform, what are they going to do? What are they going to go on? They don't know the phone number, they don't know the committee leader. So it's such a... I, have no, I don't know how to answer that question because there's like a balance there. Because I actually see where they're coming from if they don't want to be on Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, etc. So Can not take it that far? <laughs> do yeah, you I think, don't know. Do you it's think like, it's because there's, um, there's not different ideas in these committees so if you had for example if you were in a committee masjid committee and you you are aware of how to kind of navigate social media do you think that would be received um, I see see that's a better point because for example I'll use my dad because I can use my dad he was part of a mosque committee somewhere I think he is still but if they said to him now post something on social media I'd do he might not he would not know how to he would not know how to engage with people and so on but I see what you're saying um, but on the back of that as well if you have these connections that young people, web developers, app developers, you could create your own app for the mosque. 
that would be the best thing because it's your platform you can do whatever you want on it and someone in the mosque would be in charge of it no one else can you know comment or anything like that those are the type of like connections we need to make and I, I don't know obviously but I'm sure there's people out there that would do that I'm not saying for free but you know out of like yeah I'm part of the mosque I want to do this for the mosque so that's the kind of connections they need to be making but that's the, that's the thing there's no outreach there's no one's doing anything they're just kind of just leaving it as it is I think that's what the issue is it's right like widening the members that they have on the committee yeah so I wasn't thinking most most committees are comprised of men and, uh, Old and, men. Yeah, the, the, the older part. We're not ageist, like, but the higher end of the age group. And I feel like if they were to include more young people, yeah. that would kind of bring in those ideas and you'd be able to work out a way forward from that. Because the mosque is for everyone, yeah, so the committee should be uh, mm. comprising of everyone. Do you think there's a resistance between um, the, a generation above us and our generation um, being involved in committees because of different opinions on things? Um, that conflict with what, how they want to see the masjid running as I opposed to how this generation feels that it should, it should be, be running. Yeah, I feel like it's the resistance is kind of coming down a bit. I feel like there is some progression in certain areas, but on the whole, there is, that, there is going to be that resistance because I feel like there's an idea that they believe that they know better. And if you, if you do think like that, then I feel like you're going to stop yourself from evolving, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's not. I'm not generalizing, but I feel like if that is the way people do think, then we need to move away from that. That's what I would say. What's your perspective on that, Rehan? No, I think uh, there's definitely some aspect of uh, you need to evolve with uh, with the times, mm -hmm. and um, because at some point you do have to reflect. Like, okay, if for instance we're doing our bayans or our lectures in a certain language, but the people who are attending no longer understand that language, you have to really You have to really reflect on, okay, who are we serving here? Are you really putting in all of this effort for maybe five out of the 200, just as an example, people who uh, do understand? So we just need to, I think, our mosques need to really reflect and sort of evaluate and evolve towards making sure that they still have attendance, making sure that people still feel welcome, making sure that people still feel that they can go to the mosque as a place to learn, as a place to understand and consult with collaboration more than anything mm -hmm. I think. Right. collaboration with them and collaboration between us would help to serve the whole community I think so as well I think when you collaborate with in when in hindsight, if we did do all of these things, I think masjids would be a very good way to educate mm -hmm. um, not only just our generation but actually we get educated because we actually don't realize how much wisdom that generation above us has they actually mm -hmm. navigate through a country when they didn't even have the language mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they have so much hikmah in them that we can actually take forward um, and I think it's the same thing we kind of think okay we know better it's literally it's the true, same thing yeah. we, we, we've you know we're, we're on the front line we're doing we're you know we're in professional fields um, you know we're interacting with different stakeholders so we think that we know how to actually run these but then but then if you think about their years of expertise and their long-standing way of, they, uh, of organizing masjids they actually know what they're doing as well so I think it is that you need to have yeah. is have that collaboration because both kind of perspectives are very important and equal um, but it's just that I think both kind of elements are very resistant to talk to each other mm -hmm. and I think dialogue can solve a lot of problems yeah. so inshallah mm -hmm. we should try to intend yeah, to um, try to get involved and um, hopefully see some sort of impact and I think one thing we did a show with Abdul Rahman in the Pillars app guy and he even said that when he was going to masjids they there was a bit of resistance because they wanted to include sorry continue she's like giggling they wanted to include um, prayer time prayer times but then there was a resistance for that which is actually really strange because surely that serves the purpose of the masjid that to bring people to prayer to call people to prayers make it more accessible to make yeah. it more accessible but also one thing that he kind of mentioned as well is uh, the resistance for technology and using technology as a means to be able to um, you know create the longevity of masjids so for example on Fridays when they collect money no, no one's carrying cash anymore mm -hmm. and so therefore how are you going to create a sustainable structure in place to make sure that the masjid is operating again it's, it's that disconnect because um, we can't be, we're not able to kind of explain how to use this technology and they are they on the other side they're not able to receive that information so mm -hmm. yeah. we are this kind of uh, disparity between the two um, but going back to the main topic as we are kind of coming to the end of the show what would you say that uh, for people that perhaps uh, lack confidence and think activism and community engagement cannot be for them because firstly they don't 
feel comfortable speaking to a large crowd of people or they don't think they can uh, have the ability to make sh uh, to be careful of what they say in case you know, they receive a backlash. What would you say about that, Rehan? I think, like we mentioned in the beginning, activism has many different forms, many different types that it can take place. So if someone is feeling anxious about going in front of a crowd of, I don't know, a thousand people and speaking, they have to realize that that's not uh, immediately what's expected of them when someone says activism. I think for people who want to build confidence and become involved, there are always smaller scale things where you can be active on a more personal, like almost one-to-one -one level directly with maybe even people you know within your local community as a very low barrier entry um, form of activism and then as you gain more confidence and more experience within that perhaps branch out into something larger something more more involved or on a larger scale I think that's uh, a quick and easy step plan and Louisa what do you think as well? I would agree go to um, involve yourself in as many like movements as you can and you'll find something that really makes you passionate and I think from there, when you're around people who you've seen doing activism, you can learn things, you can pick things up, and then you'll feel confident enough to kind of take that stage for yourself, I guess, and express yourself in a way that you feel comfortable. So, yeah. Same as Louisa. Yeah. I was just thinking that, like, shadow someone who's doing what you want to do mm. and then see how it goes. But also, if you're really passionate about something, you might just create that spark in you yeah. to do it. Mm -hmm. Spark the talk. Spark the talk. Spark the talk. Yeah, um... So I think for me personally, again, it was I found that struggle with trying to find uh, organisations that represented my kind of principles and values. And the reason why I asked that question is because I was in that situation. I was someone that was that lacked confidence. I couldn't speak, and now I'm hosting Sister Speak. So well that's it. That's uh, positive. Um, I just think it's really important to just take that step forward. But also, one thing we didn't talk about is company. And I think company is very, very important to think about when you're, especially uh, in, from your young age, um, to consider because the people that you are around, they're the people that are going to influence you. And if you want to be an influencer yourself, um, you have to be around people that are principled, that, that you know, um, hold their moral compass strongly. And so what do you guys say about that? Just quickly, Rehan, in five seconds. So could you please? So how how to find the right company? Well, how to find the right company? I think it's important to be around people not only who think in a similar way to you, but also people who have different opinions, so that you can really be challenged on your views and learn how to defend them. And I think that will teach you yourself, like how it will give you a broader understanding of why you actually value, why you actually believe in. Uh, what you believe in, in what you believe in yeah. essentially definitely I think I resonate that with a lot especially because I did the degree in English literature and I was challenged with my beliefs almost every seminar so it was, it was a really good learning opportunity and I think that's the kind of the main thing when you are engaged in activism it is a learning opportunity it's about building yourself and growing um, so that does come to the end of the show unfortunately thank you for joining us Assalamualaikum thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.